Well, last time I was with you, we went through um, Ephesians chapter 1. Does anybody remember that? It was a few weeks ago now, Ephesians chapter 1. Um, so what I'm doing out in our Cleveland campus on Wednesday nights is I'm going through the entire book of Ephesians. There's six chapters, so we're walking through chapter by chapter. I am on currently, I think the next chapter I'm going to preach is Ephesians chapter 5. But today I thought it'd be cool if we do part two of our Ephesians series. Is that that'd be okay with everybody? I'm really excited about this, and this is probably one of the most impactful chapters in the book of Ephesians, and I really think that we're going to get a lot out of it today. So do me a favor. Does anybody have their Bible with them? If you have your Bible, just, just wave it at me. Okay, we got some paper in the house. That's a huge Bible. Oh, my goodness. It's like lifting it with two hands, like, oh, I got my Bible. That's amazing. That's like every translation ever, just back to back. It's all of them. So, so do, let's do this. Grab your Bible and go to the book of Ephesians. We're going to go to chapter 2. I want you to actually go there, whether it's on your phone or whether it's a paper Bible, because we're not going to jump around a lot today. We're just going to read the, the 22 verses there, so there's no excuses. You can just scroll with me. Um, and, I, and I want you to do this. You know, somebody, um, somebody asked me this the other day. I can't remember how they put it, but they, uh, they said this. I always encouraged people to go and do their own research. And, and here's the thing about me, and, and it's, I think it's just because I've been in ministry for a long time, I don't trust people. And so when I hear people from a, a platform, or maybe I'm scrolling through social media and I see a preacher tell me something, I, I, I don't always trust them. I like to do my own homework. So I'll take what you said, I'll take what I heard he said or she said, and I'll go back to the word and I'll open it up just to make sure, you know, because there's a lot of, of weird stuff out there, right? And if you just follow everything that you hear, you might be misled. And so you and I as believers, we can't be deceived. And so this is what I want to do. It might be a little counterintuitive today, but don't trust me. <laughs> I could be up here making all this stuff up and, and a lot of Christians would never know, right? They would never know. So I want you to take this, go home, read Ephesians chapter two and, and do your own research, do your own homework, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. But we're gonna jump into Ephesians chapter two and here's the idea. So last time we were here, um, Ephesians chapter one, the idea was this. I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And if you remember the first part of this, of this series, Ephesians chapter one, we talked about how God has given us blessings in every single way. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Do you guys remember this? That he has blessed us. He's given us an inheritance. He's given us a hope. He's given us um, um, a calling. He's accepted us and brought us into his family. And so we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. In Ephesians chapter two, what we're going to see is that by grace, through faith, I have been brought close to God. By grace, through faith, I have been brought close to God. So do me a favor. Let's say that. Let's read it together as one family, okay? By grace, through faith, I have been brought close to God. One more time and use your chest a little bit louder. Here we go. You ready? By grace, through faith, I have been brought close to God. Amen. Come on, bow your head with me as we pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the time that we have in your presence. We honor you. We thank you so much that we can just come into a building like this and, and, and just be with you and be with your people. We ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would fill this room to capacity with wisdom and revelation, according to your words in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, that you would bring the spirit of wisdom and revelation into this room. Let us not leave here hearing some good music and, and a good message, but let us leave here hearing and seeing you, Jesus. We've come for you, and we ask that as we leave this place today, we will leave differently than when we walked in. We love you. We bless you. In your name I pray. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, you know where we're going to be at. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start right from the top. Verse 1. You ready for it? 
Here we go. Verse one, it says this, in you, he made alive. Everybody say, he made alive. So I don't like just talking the whole time. So just get used to this, okay? If you see red, I'm probably gonna make you say it, all right? So we'll just, we'll just go with that. But, but Paul starts off, he says this, you he made alive, there's implication there. That means this, that you weren't alive, that you were dead, that Christ made you alive. So you and I existed in a dead state in our sin. And he goes on to explain this, who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now pause right there. Don't go to the next one. Pause right there. It is really hard for me because I've been to church for a long time. So it's really hard for me to believe that certain individuals lived in sin. Now, some of you make it really easy for me to believe that you lived in sin. You can see, I'm just kidding, no. But like Pastor Sue, I can't imagine a day that you ever sinned. Like, cause any, can anybody imagine Pastor Sue sinning? I just, it doesn't even register in my brain. Pastor Paul, stop making that face. Don't make that face. She's gonna come get you. Don't do it. But there's some people you're, you're like, you know what? There's no way that you were dead. There's no way. But the truth is every single one of us, it doesn't matter how far gone we were or how, you know, how not far gone we were. Every single one of us were dead in our trespasses. Let's go to the next verse here. It says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So Paul starts off this chapter by basically reminding us of all of the junk we've been through, right? That's always fun to get that reminder. He reminds us, listen, you were once dead in your sins. You were far away from God. Does everybody remember that time in your life where you were so far away from God? You didn't even know him. You didn't even know who you were. You were lost. Man, now when we think about who we are now, oftentimes we take it for granted because we just live day to day. But if you really take a moment and think about who you used to be and who you are now, you can realize that, man, I was far away, but now I've been made alive in Christ. Next verse there, verse four. Paul goes on to say this, but God, come on, you guys know it. But God, that's probably the, the one best phrase in the entire Bible, right? We were dead, we were, we were dead in our sins, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Watch this, by grace, you have been saved. Let's keep that, that phrase in the back of our minds. Okay, we're gonna revisit it in a second. But by grace, you have been saved. Go on to the next verse, please. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Everybody say it. In Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Here's the idea. If you're a Christian, you have to be found in Christ. You have to be found in Christ. This is who we are. This is how we receive all of these incredible benefits from the Lord. You are not good enough to receive them by yourself. 
It is only when a believer is found in Christ. There's a story in the Old Testament where the children of Israel are in the nation of Egypt and, and, and the Lord's calling them out, right? And Moses comes, we remember this story, and he pronounces all of these plagues and he says, listen, the, the death angel's gonna come and he's going to kill the firstborn of every single house. And he tells the children of Israel to paint your doorposts with the blood of a lamb. You remember this story? Right, and so what happens is because those individuals were found inside of the house that was painted with the blood, the death angel passed over. The same is true for you and I today. Obviously, we're not gonna kill any lambs and paint blood on our houses. We might get the HOA called on us, but the truth is this, is that when you're a Christian, you're a believer, and you're found in Christ, the death penalty of sin is passed over over you. Come on, is anybody excited about that? That you and I don't have to be good enough, do enough. All we have to do is be found in him. All we have to do is be found in him. And when we're in him, we're safe. In him, we're home. Amen? So this is what what Paul is is describing here in in verses six and seven. Go on to the next one for me. For by grace, everybody say "By by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. So I want to pause here for a second because This phrase is huge. It's big. And before I go on, I want to say happy birthday to my sister, Olivia. (laughs) Happy birthday. You turned 16 today? Wait, no, how old are you? You're 21? Jeez. I'm old, man. But if I'm old, that means y'all are old. So that's crazy. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. So I want to break this down and just explain a little bit about what these words actually mean. So when we look at grace, grace, all grace means is this, unmerited or undeserved favor. That's what grace means. To break it down even further, I like to say this, for some reason, God likes you. For some inexplicable reason, God looks at you and he doesn't want to destroy you. He likes you. He sees you and he says, oh man, I like that person. They're pretty cool, right? That's what grace is. And it has nothing to do with what you and I have done. It has nothing to do with what we've earned, but it's undeserved or unearned favor. So by grace, by this favor of God, we have been saved through faith. Everyone say through faith. Now faith is an interesting concept because a lot of people think that faith just means believing, but it doesn't. And this is why I know that faith doesn't just mean that you and I have to believe in Jesus because the Bible says that even the demons believe in Jesus. So if faith meant that all you had to do is exercise some mental energy and believe in Jesus and then you get a ticket to heaven, that means this, that the demons, the devil, everybody's gonna be in heaven too. But that's not what faith means. Just believing in Jesus, praying a prayer, repeating after a pastor one time in your life and just saying, yep, I prayed it, I'm going to heaven. I I really want you to understand and hear me today because this is so important that, that faith, it doesn't just mean to believe in Jesus. You can't rest, you can't rest your relationship with God in that. It requires a little bit more from us, church. Faith, my definition of faith, I think it's pretty, pretty on point is this, that faith is believing coupled with obedience. Meaning this, that not only do I mentally believe that Jesus came to this earth, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, I believe that that is true, but I'm also setting myself up to follow him as if I believe that's true. Because when you look at the lives of the apostles, after Jesus ascended into heaven, every single one of them 
died for Christ. Every one of them died. What does that mean? That means that they followed in obedience to their death, Jesus. They didn't just use some mental energy to say, yep, Jesus, I saw you, like I believe that you rose again and all this, and then I'm just gonna go about my life. No, they gave their life to following him. So if you're a Christian in this room and all you've done is recite a prayer and echo something a pastor has said years ago, that's not enough. That's not faith. That's the same thing that demons have is belief in Jesus. So you and I have been saved, remember, by grace through this weird reason that God likes you for some reason. Because of that grace and through our belief coupled with obedience, we have been saved. We have been saved. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. Now I wanna read, I wanna kind of section this off here because Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 is a very popular scripture verse. You've probably heard it, um, but it says, it says this, for we are his workmanship and that Greek word there is poema. And that word poema is where we get our English word poem, right? Some of you scholars could have gotten that. Um, it's where we get our Greek word, our English word poem. And it goes on to say this, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, when you read that verse at face value, it seems to contradict just the verse right before because Paul says this in verse nine, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then he goes on to say this, that we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. So Paul, make up your mind. Which one is it? Are we supposed to do good works or are we not supposed to do good works? Which one? But I want us to understand something. Paul is up until this point in in verse 10, Paul is teaching us and showing us what salvation looks like, how to be saved, right? And then in this moment, Paul switches from how you and I are to be saved to once we're saved, what does our life look like? So you've entered through the door of salvation, right? You've, you've, you've given your life by grace through faith in Jesus. You're, you've been saved. Now what happens? That we are his workmanship. That word workmanship means poema. And, and it, it's, it basically means this, to create or to build something but it has more of an artistic, creative flair. Like it's not, it's not the same as like, I'm gonna build this chair and this piece just goes here and you screw in that thing. Like has anybody put together furniture from Ikea? <laughs> it's the worst, right? It's like they try to make it as many pieces as they can. They're like, how many, how many little pieces can we make to just, it's terrible. Anyways, it's not like you're building a dresser from Ikea, right? It's like, okay, you put this piece in, then you put this piece in. No, no, no. It's more of like an artistic, like you're writing a poem, like you're creating something masterful. This is what Jesus, and this is what God did with you and me. He didn't just put you together, throw you together and say, okay, I created that person. There you go. No, it, you are his artwork. You're his masterpiece. He invested time, energy, and, 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 and creativity in you. So you are his poem. That's pretty cool, right? You are God's poem created in Christ. So once you're found in Christ, you're, you're born again. It's, you, know, you look back in John chapter three where Jesus has this conversation with Nicodemus and says, listen, if you wanna be in the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. And he doesn't know what that means. So it's okay. But in, in verse 10, we see that, that Paul's saying that you were created in Christ. You're in Christ now. Now you've been created for good works. Now that you're in Christ, now that you're saved, now that you've been made new, what is the objective as Christians? It's to follow the good works that God has created for you. And it's not enough to do random acts of kindness 
and think that you're fulfilling your Christian duty. I want, to hear, I want you to hear me on this because I really want to challenge just some, some theology and some, some kind of mindsets that a lot of Christians have. We feel like, okay, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, so I have to be good to people. And we fill our life with these random acts of kindness. And we just like, yeah, I want to bless this person, I want to do that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. What I am saying is it's not enough. It's not enough. And, and here's, here's why. It says this, that you've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared. This is, the, this is the key phrase. Which God prepared beforehand. That means this, that before you were even here on this earth, God had ordained and prepared a, a plan and a destiny for you to walk in. He's prepared good works for you to do. So it's not enough that you're just following your own intuition and say, yeah, I want to be a good person. I'm going to do good things. It, you have to get to a level where you say, God, what are you doing and what do you want me to do? And following his plan for your life. Let me show you something. In John chapter 15, we're not gonna go there, but John chapter 15, I think it's verse 10, Jesus is going on this monologue, right? And, he, and this is the verse where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you know, you'll bear much fruit, all of this stuff. In verse 10, he says this. He says, if you love me, you'll follow my commandments. And then he says this, just as I have followed his commandments and abide in him. What was Jesus saying there? And you remember this when Jesus said this. Jesus walked this earth and said, I don't do anything unless I see my father do it. I don't say anything unless I, see my I hear my father say it. Jesus lived his life not according to what he thought was good in the moment. He led in complete surrender and obedience to the will of God, which means this. He didn't just go around saying, what good deed can I do? He went around and said, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? And he saw God and he moved. This is what you and I need to be doing as Christians. Every single day, yielding our life in obedience to God and saying, God, lead me, guide me. I don't wanna do anything if I don't see you do it. I don't wanna say anything if I don't hear you say it. It's not enough just to be a good Christian. We have to get to the point where we're obedient Christians, where we see and obey, where we hear and we obey, and we follow the good works which God has prepared for us beforehand. Our job is not to create some good works, it's to walk in the things that God has called us to. Amen? Amen. Let's go to this next verse, verse 11 here. Therefore, remember, everybody say, therefore, remember. You guys good? You, you're with me? Okay, good. All right, therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Paul is using figurative language and literal language. If you remember, as we talked about the first time, um, the, the church in Ephesus was in Asia Minor. It was removed. They weren't a part of the children of God. They were Gentiles, right? And Paul's reminding them of this. And he's saying this, you used to be far off, literally and figuratively. You weren't even near the presence of God. You were, you were so far away from God. That's who you used to be. And Paul's reminding them of this. And he says, having no hope without God in the world. Next verse, go ahead. But now in Christ, you who were once far off, have been brought near. You who once lived your life far off have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. I, I believe that this phrase and this idea that Paul presents is so well-timed because this is what I see happen in my life all the time, right? I, I get saved, I'm, I'm loving Jesus, I'm doing good. And then I get to a point where I'm like, okay, I start being obedient and I'm like, you know, seeing some cool stuff happen because I'm actually listening to what God is saying and not arguing with him all day. And when I'm obedient, I start seeing cool things happen. And then Dominic starts getting a big head and thinking, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm pretty awesome. I prayed for that person. They got healed. I gave that money to that person and they got a car. I did all this stuff. This is awesome. I'm pretty good, right? And, and if you're not careful, your head just will start to blow up a little bit. And I love how Paul puts this because he says this, therefore, remember where you used to be. Remember how far you were. Remember how distant you were from God. Once you get those good works and you start walking in them and you start getting a puffy chest and you're like, man, I got this Christian thing down. Remember this, that without the blood of Jesus, you would still be way far away from him. So he's saying, listen, as we're walking in these good works, we have to keep at the forefront of our mind the fact that if it had not been for Jesus, we would not be where we are. It's all because of the blood of Jesus. As we walk in our good works, remember that we have been brought close by his blood. Let's go to the next verse here. I love how Paul kind of wraps, wraps this, um, these last two ideas up and then we'll be done. Um, in verse 14, he says this, for he himself, Jesus, he himself is our peace, who has made both one. Now, now I'm gonna ask you to stick with me here for a second because this idea that Paul brings is kind of, it's kind of hard mentally to follow, but if you do follow it, it's such a beautiful picture of, of the reality of what Christ did for us, okay? So we're gonna walk through this and it's really powerful. Paul starts off and says, for Jesus is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. So this is the idea that Paul's saying. He's saying Jesus is our peace because there existed before Jesus a war. And this war waged between imperfect sinful men and God. And we see this war raging all throughout the Old Testament where God would give his righteous declaration and say, hey, I'm gonna make a covenant with you guys, all right? I'm gonna make a covenant with you and if you do X, Y, and Z, nothing bad's gonna happen to you. We'll be in relationship. It's all gonna be good if you follow and obey what I'm telling you to do, if you keep the law. And then inevitably, the children of Israel, the Bible says, rebelled. And they rebelled and they rebelled and they worshiped other gods and they did all of this silly stuff. And there was this constant battle between the righteous requirement of the law and our ability to keep the law. We couldn't do it. We could not keep the commandments that God commanded us. And so there was this constant battle between God and man this constant friction between us and God, and God couldn't be near us. That's why the presence of God was kept in the holy of holies. It was hidden. It was away from the children of Israel as to protect them because they couldn't be in the presence of a holy God. And Paul starts off and says this, or go, go back, sorry, go back. There we go. That, that he has broken down the middle wall of separation. Do you guys remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? The Bible said the moment Jesus took his last breath, the veil was torn in the temple from top to bottom. And that middle wall of separation was removed. 
What did Jesus do on that cross? He ended the war between God and man. Jesus came on this earth and he fulfilled the righteous requirements that God needed us to fill. The law that God said, listen, you have to be perfect. You have to be perfect to be in my presence. We couldn't do it, so Jesus did it. He came down in form of a human like us and he did what we could not do, thus ending the war between God and man. And here's the beautiful thing. When you're found in Christ Jesus, you're able to come near to God because of what he did. So go to the next one now. Go, go to verse uh, 15, or 16. Yep. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. Thereby, this is what we just said, thereby putting to death the enmity. When Jesus died on that cross, he ended the war between God and man. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, everyone say through him. Through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Before Jesus, we didn't have access. Before Jesus, we were at war with God, but he brought us peace. He brought peace into our life so that you and I could be one with the Father. Here's the last idea that Paul proposes here in verse 19. It says this, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. Remember, the church at Ephesus, they were quite literally strangers and foreigners to God. But he says that you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now I want us to see this last, these last couple of verses here, this idea here in, in, in uh, verse 21, 22. It says this, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. What is in the temple? It's the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant. That that's what the temple held. And so what Paul's suggesting here is that the bride of Christ is being built up together. Why? So that, that you could just be perfect, so that you could do a bunch of good things, that you can love your neighbor, that you do all this stuff, right? There's a lot of reasons why Christians think we exist. I'm gonna clarify it for you here. This is why the bride exists, to be fit together into a building, a temple. We are being pieced together as a temple. Why? in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Your, the purpose of your existence and my existence is to host his presence, to allow his presence to fill our life. And the beautiful thing is Paul's not talking about the church of CNC. This isn't just our church. This isn't just the church down the street. This is the bride of Christ around the world is being fashioned into a temple so that we can host the presence of God. So that you and I, everywhere we go, we can be filled and carriers of the righteous presence of God. Come on up here, David. I love how Paul, I, I wanna summarize this as, as David gets ready. Let's so go, go to the next slide here. I want to break down just kind of what we talked about here. So if you want to take a picture of this, you can or whatever you want to do. But, but Paul like kind of really goes through this so beautifully. He starts off in verses one through three, reminding us that we were dead. We were dead in our sins. And then he tells us this, that Christ made us alive. And because we've been made alive, our job now is to walk in obedience to him. 
We walk in obedience to him. And remember, as we're walking, we remember that we've been brought close by his blood. And then Paul ultimately gives us the purpose and reason for our existence, right? He says that Jesus ended the war between God and man, and we are being built as a dwelling place for him. You exist as a Christian to see Jesus. And the desire that you and I have to see the Lord, I believe, will lead us in our relationship with him. And here's what I mean by that. Well, let me just say this. A couple weeks ago, I was like asking the Lord. I'm like, God, I just want to see you. I just want to see you. You don't have to bless me. You don't have to give me anything. Like, I just want to see your face. You know, when you read the story of Daniel, and the Bible says that Daniel had a vision and he sees, he sees Jesus and his eyes are blazing like fire and his hair is like wool and his voice thunders and his skin's like brass. It's like, oh my goodness, that's incredible. And all throughout the Bible, you see this incredible description of who Jesus is. And, and as a Christian, our desire is to just see him like, Lord, I wanna see you. I wanna see you, I wanna see you. And as I was praying that prayer, what I've discovered is that when I pursue him, the Lord directs me in my life. He directs me and he says, okay, you wanna see me? Then I, I want you to do this. And this isn't quite right in your life. I want you to move here. And as Christians, we think that we have to like, we have to figure that out first. Like, oh, I gotta figure out what I need to do. I, I need to go here. I need to fix this. God, I'm, I'm not proud of this. No, you don't have to do any of that. All you have to do is say, Lord, I wanna see you. I wanna see you, Lord. I wanna see you. I wanna see you. And this last week as I prayed that prayer and I said, Lord, I wanna see you. The Lord said this to me. He showed me this over the course of the last few weeks that I can't see him because I don't have the fear of the Lord. I know, it's kind of crazy. But I, I was wondering what was missing in my life, right? I'm like, God, man, I just feel like I'm not like, I feel like I'm faking it, right? I feel like I'm faking it. I feel like I'm just being good just for the sake of being good. And the reality was the Lord showed me is that I didn't have any fear of the Lord. That I was entertaining silly and petty things because I didn't really realize who he was. I've grown familiar with him. And when you look at all of these incredible men and women throughout the Bible who have seen Jesus, before they've seen him, they feared him. And when they've seen him, they've feared him. And I've allowed the Lord to direct my life, not by trying to figure it out myself, but by being a dwelling place for his temple, by pursuing him, and he directs your path. So do me a favor, stand up. And I just want to spend just a moment before we dismiss. And I want us to, I want us to, to kind of pray. I'm not going to like pray a prayer and you repeat after me, but I want you to pray this with me, okay? And I want you to just ask the Lord to reveal himself to you. So Jesus, Holy Spirit, right now we thank you and we ask that you would bring in this room the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Reveal to us Jesus. We want to see you. We want to be the dwelling place for your presence. Holy Spirit, would you reveal Jesus to us? Would you place inside of our hearts a desire, a burning desire to see you? Not just to be good Christians, not just to even obey God, but would you let us have this desire that we want to see you? The same desire that burned in the heart of Moses when he said, Lord, would you show me your glory? Let that desire fill our hearts right now. We want to see your face. We want to see the eyes that blaze like fire. We want to hear the voice that roars like thunder. We want to see 
the hair that's white like wool, Jesus. Would you let us see you? Would you let us know you? Yes, Lord. We want to know you. We want to see you today. I want to see you. And I want to know you. Reveal yourself, Jesus. I want to see you, see you rightly. Spirit, we thank you for what you're doing and what you've done here today. We thank you that we have been saved by grace through faith. It's this inexplicable reason, God, you like us. You looked at this dust of this earth and you said, hey, I like that dust. It's pretty cool. You've extended your favor to us. And we declare right now in this place that we don't just believe in you, but we have faith in you, Jesus. The same faith that drove the, the apostles to their own death, God. That we extend faith towards you that says this. We don't just believe in you, Jesus, but we believe in you so much that we're laying down our life to follow you, to pursue you. We want to be obedient to you, God. And would you not just be Jesus, the Savior over our life, but would you be Jesus, the Lord of our life? You're not just our friend. You're not just a buddy, but you're the King of kings. You are El Shaddai, the Lord of lords. You reign above all, Jesus. And would we have an appropriate view of who you are today? We love you. We bless you. We honor you in this place. In your name I pray. What everybody said. Amen. So if we could do this, before we dismiss today, I want to ask two questions. And I and I wanna I wanna kind of take this this time, you know, very seriously because I think there there might be people in this room who have who have been fed not a lie, but I guess a lie, but in a half truth that said, Hey, if you raise your hand, if you repeat after me, then you're gonna go to heaven no matter what. And as of late, I just don't know if I'm so sure as a pastor who, who has done that. I don't sure, I'm not sure if I hadn't been misleading people in doing that. Because what I'm realizing, and I'm sure Pastor Mary will, will speak on this as, as time goes on because this is kind of her revelation. I'm just gleaning from it. But what I've realized is that we can't extend a little mental energy during a service and believe that we're going to heaven. That's not what following Jesus looks like. So I want to ask some of the pastors and leaders to come up here. And, and Jesus says this, altar ministers if they're here, but Jesus says this, he tells us to count the cost. No one starts a building without first counting the cost. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died so that you and I don't have to die. But that's not the entire news of the gospel. Because Jesus says this, you have to take up your cross every day. You have to lay down your life for me. So if you accept the good news that says this, Jesus, you died for me so I don't have to, then you have to accept the second part of the news that is not always great news, but that news is this, that now that you've died so I don't have to, I'm gonna die for you. I'm gonna lay down my life for you. What does that look like? That means laying down 
who you are, your desires, your dreams, that doesn't mean that you're just going to be miserable, but that means this, you follow in complete surrender and obedience to the Lord. That Jesus is not just your Savior, He's your Lord. And what I want to make sure of today is that the people in this room don't just know Jesus as Savior, but they know Him as Lord. So if you're here today and you say, you know what, I, that's me, I, I, I raised my hand and prayed a prayer and I, know, I just thought that's what I was supposed to do. Well, that's my bad, I told you that. But if you want to leave this room today knowing for sure, not just that you're going to heaven, but that you've established Jesus as the Lord of your life, then before you leave, I just want you to come up and pray with one of these incredible people as pastors up here and just allow them to, to direct you and guide you into the Lord. And here's the second thing that I want to ask. If you're here and, and, and you're struggling, I have, one, I have one rule when it comes to ministry. You're allowed to struggle. You just can't do it by yourself. You can't do it alone. Okay, so if you're, gonna, if you're going through something difficult, if you're struggling, there's just one rule. You're allowed to struggle as a Christian, but just don't do it by yourself. So if you need prayer, if you need a hug, if you need a word, if you need something, find one of these pastors or find somebody in this room. You guys are so good at loving on each other. But let's do this. Let's, let's just put your hand on your heart for me before we leave. I want to pray a blessing over you. Jesus, I thank you for your children here in this room. I thank you, Jesus, that you've made us alive in Christ. And I pray that every single person in this room would be found in Christ. I thank you, Jesus, that you've created us for good works. You've set us up and you have a destiny and a plan and a purpose for us. All we have to do is follow you. Pray that you would help us to be obedient with you, to you this week, that we would listen without hesitation in the name of Jesus. I thank you, God, that as we pursue your presence, you're directing our steps. And so, Father, as we go, would you just reveal the Son to us? Show us Jesus. Let us see your face, Jesus. We love you bless you. In your name I pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. So if you want to come this way before you go that way, remember to live right, love everyone, pray hard. We'll see you guys next time.